0: Luke chapter 1, I hope you can join us tonight for worship, prayer, communion, and just a chance to be together. Every time we start a book, it's so important just to get the feel of it. Why did this writer write the book? What is it that we're looking for? You know, so many times we just read through the Bible, we read about stories, and we think, okay, why do I need to know this? And Luke starts with one of those stories that you might be tempted to just skip over and get to the exciting stuff. But I love the obscure stories in the Bible because they remind me that God is looking on the nobodies in the world. He's not just doing amazing things for the celebrities, and the famous people in the Bible. And sometimes it feels that way in the ministry and in church. It's like you're quietly at home and you're thinking, God, do you see me? Have you ever felt like that way? I feel that way all the time. Lord, do you hear me? Do you see me? And this, this book of Luke's gospel opens with a birth announcement of John the Baptist. Now, how exciting is that? Not very, very exciting by your reaction, but Zacharias and Elizabeth. But in these stories are the amazing little lessons that I want you to grab a hold of and apply to your own life. Are you with me? You taking notes? Open your a notes app in your on your phone or whatever you've got. Title of my message today is God is Faithful, Luke 1, verses 1 through 25. We're going to see some important things that the Bible is true and reliable. The Bible is true and reliable, that you can trust God's word, that when God speaks, how about this? He actually keeps his word. We're used to be letting down by people in the world, but I always know I can count on the Lord to just keep his word. The theme of Luke's gospel is found in Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and that was me. The Lord saved me, and he saw me when I cried out to him. Why did Luke write his gospel? And here's a big question. Is the birth and the ministry of Jesus based on fact, or is it embellished with a lot of myth? Did you know there are four gospels in the Bible? Of course you know that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we think, well, why are there four, and why are they worded differently? Why are there, you know, different stories and different accounts in each one? There's a reason why there's four Gospels in the New Testament. And again, remember, Gospel means good news. This is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, has come into the world. So, for your reference, Matthew was a Jew writing to the Jews, presenting Jesus as the Messiah. That's the entire focus of his gospel. Jesus, the Messiah, to the Jews who are looking for the Messiah. Mark is writing to the Romans of Jesus, the servant. The Romans who were so focused on power. Mark says, if you're looking for power, you'll find him in Jesus' the servant. There is power in service. Luke, writing to the Greeks of Jesus, the perfect man, the Greeks who were interested in developing the perfect man, they said, you Greeks, you want to know what the perfect man looks like? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. And John, writing to the world, to all people, writing of Jesus, the son of God. So four different writers four different audiences, if you will, different looks, different pictures of the same life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, you realize that these writers are writing to a world that is full of religion, that is full of myth and legend. It's just assumed that world's religions are embellished with myth and whatever they want to add to it. Christianity is the world's religion that is entirely dependent on the absence of myth. And in fact, if the gospel is some fact embellished with myth, which we would call a lie, then we should not be here. If the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry Death, resurrection is not as accounted for in the written word, we should not be here. But it's interesting that the world looks on us almost assuming that we've included or the writers included myth in the biblical stories, and they did they did not. Luke's account is interesting because he's the only non-jewish or gentile writer of a new testament book he actually wrote two books in the new testament and for extra credit you can guess the second book he wrote luke that's easy and what's the other book the book of acts as well and if you read the opening of book, both books you can see uh, the similarity of both of those books Luke is writing to gather the facts, to present them to someone he calls Theophilus, to verify the certainty of the account of Jesus. He's also a physician, which you may know, a doctor. And it's interesting to me that he begins his letter with a birth announcement. The purpose of Luke's gospel verses 1 through 4 of Luke chapter 1. Follow that with me. He writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding Of all things from the very beginning, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Did you pay attention to Luke's words? Does it sound like Luke wants Theophilus to know that this is a factual account of events that actually happened? Right from the beginning, he just dispels any idea that he is embellishing or anyone embellished in any way. Many had written, but he writes of actual events, from personal understanding, from eyewitnesses, an orderly account of the certainty of these events of the certainty of these events. We are not allowed or content to take a Bible story and say, well, it might be true. And it always happens every year around Easter and Christmas on the History Channel or some other channel. They're running documentaries about the, did Jesus actually live? Or does it matter if the resurrection actually happened? And they always get some so-called pastor who is interviewed, who comes on and says, you know, it doesn't actually matter if these events actually happened. It just matters that we learn the lessons from these stories. It matters. It does matter. Luke is writing to Theophilus that Theophilus will know the certainty of these things. Faith isn't the absence of fact. It is our response to the facts. When you hear non-Christians talk about what is faith versus in our culture versus science, they say, well, faith, is the absence of facts. Since we don't have facts, we are left to faith. Biblical faith is not the absence of facts, it is our response to the facts. And I hope you write that down. Faith is not the absence of fact, but our response to the facts. Writing to Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of god and some have speculated if theophilus is his actual name or an actual person maybe it's just the name he calls him to protect his identity we don't know but he is he's writing it to a real person probably there's no reason to doubt that he is actually called theophilus lover of god but notice that he is also um Identifies him as most excellent Theophilus, which would be a common title of a Roman official. So he's very likely somebody important in the Roman Roman ranks. Verses five through twenty-five is then the birth announcement of Zacharias of John the Baptist to Zacharias and Elizabeth. There were in the days of Herod the king of Judea, certain priest named Zacharias of the division or of the family of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So this is the parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth, both well-advanced in years, meaning they're probably beyond childbearing years. And it actually means that they are bent over. That's what it means. And in spite of the disappointment of their life, so many of us have disappointments in life. And as the years go on, you tend to give up on certain things that you hoped would happen in your life. In spite of this disappointment of not having a child, and even what was very strongly a social shame upon their family, they continued to quietly serve the Lord. And I say that because quite often when we don't get the things we wanted from God, we tend to forget about him. And we stop serving him or we just kind of close off our heart to the Lord because I prayed and I prayed for years and this never happened. But these two continued to quietly, without any fanfare, they had no Facebook page, they served God quietly. Verse 8, and so it was that while they were serving as priests before God in the order of his division according to the custom of the priesthood his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the lord and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense stop there for a second so at this time there is about 20,000 priests in the nation of israel That's too many for them all to be serving at the same time in the ordinances in the temple. It was David who set up a rotation of the families of the priesthood and which ones would serve in different weeks during the year in the different things that would have to be done in the temple. And then, according to those families— they would then cast lots to decide which ones would do different tasks serving God in the temple. And it was, it was Zachariah's turn to burn incense before the Lord in the temple. And when you realize how many priests there were, how many families there were, how many jobs there were, this is probably the only time in his life that he would actually burn incense before the Lord in the temple. This is his moment. This is is an important moment in his life. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 11, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said, angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink strong wine, shall, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the lord their god he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the lord these quiet stories i tend to identify with because for so many of the years that I have been a pastor, and that was since 1993. I was became the pastor of Calvary Chapel, for Portland. And before that, when I was a young man in my 20s, just serving around Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, there is this sense that you just want to be where the excitement is. You want to be in the middle of what God is doing. And sometimes that incredible desire to be in the middle of the exciting things that God is doing translates into wanting to be recognized. You want to be noticed, and you want to hang around with the people who get noticed. And really, the record of the people that God uses throughout his word and throughout church history are people that no one ever heard about. They are ordinary people like you and me. They are the people like Zacharias and Elizabeth who just quietly served the Lord without any fanfare. And in fact, you would never ever have heard of these people except that they were the parents of John the Baptist. So they got a mention here. They got a mention here. And the thing is, if you and I serve quietly with no recognition, does that mean that God is not working in and through our lives? Well, that's a rhetorical question because no. And I love the fact that God has no respecter of persons. That means he doesn't go, oh, well, that person is a celebrity. I can really use them. Oh, that person is rich. I can really use them. God looks at all people the same, every one of us. And the qualifying factor for who God says I can use that person is whether that person's heart is open to him. And rather than me feeling like, well, I could never be used by God unless somebody important recognizes me. That puts all the control in other people's hands. Really, I discovered that no one is in charge of whether God uses my life or not, except me. And if you would like God to work through your life, you are the only person that decides that. Here's what I know. God wants to use your life. Can you say amen? I'm going to say that a bunch more times. But God wants to use your life. One of my favorite scriptures, I'll kind of paraphrase, 2 Chronicles sixteen nine. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are open to him. Imagine that. God is looking around the world. He's looking. He's looking on the hearts of people. He's looking for those individuals whose hearts are yielded to him. And no one's in charge of my heart but me. Nobody. When I was a young man, I would often think, well, if that person recognizes me, if that person, you know, says my name up in front of the church, if that person thinks I'm somebody, then I probably am. That's a lesson that has to get worked out of every one of us. It could even go as far as to think if somebody disapproves of you, they are not able to keep God from using your life. See, God can use whoever whoever he chooses. In spite of man's opinion of you. I think of David going out to defeat Goliath. His brother said, who do you think you are? Get out of here. God delights in using nobodies, at least in the eyes of the world. He just delights in using weak people. And I think, Lord, I qualify. And when I discovered that all really the Lord was asking was that I would have a heart that was open to him, Then I thought, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? I'm available. And the message, the very message you and I are telling to the people of Albany is that God loves them. God sees them. God hears them. And God is looking for ways to work in their life. Because you and I bump into people who have lost hope every day. They've lost hope in whatever circumstances or somebody's hurt them or even a church has hurt them. But our faith is not in a church or in a pastor, even though we do, you know, trust in people that, that we rely on. It is the Lord who is faithful. The Lord is always, always faithful. I think Zacharias and Elizabeth were like so many people that I've had in my church over the years that were just quietly serving. I can think of names right now of of people that showed up week after week who, through the years, they were there to make coffee, set up chairs, vacuum the sanctuary, no titles, no recognition. And yet I look back on them now and I think, well, there's no way we could have had church without those people. And you are those people. And all of us together are preparing the house for visitors to come. And my prayer is that the word gets out to Albany that verbatim church is a place where we can grow together in the love of God. I'm going to go there because that's the place where I can connect with people and those people are interested in growing in the love of God. There are a lot of churches who are not that. They might be fine people and a lot of good things going on, but there's so much promotion and brand building going on. It's hard to get to the What's, what's the real ministry going on here? We are supposed to be a family, the family of God, and the reason we're here is to grow in our love for the Lord and our love for each other. When Gabriel ap- appears before Zacharias as he is quietly serving in the temple, they learn, number one, that God did hear their prayers. All those years, they learn God heard their prayers. And secondly, they learn the reason for the delay in the answer to the prayer. Sometimes you think the things you ask for are no. Sometimes the things that sound like no are just not yet. And there are sometimes, not always, but there are sometimes that God delays answering, number one, to prepare us for a special purpose in the answer to that prayer. And secondly, that God wanted to do more than they were actually asking for. Imagine, we often think we prayed for something and God's trying to God's trying to keep something good from us. We almost feel like God's this big killjoy. The more you learn about the character of God, you discover that God wants to do more than you're asking for, not less. And sometimes, obviously, the thing you may have asked for was not a good thing to be asking for and you all know about things you prayed for and God didn't answer that prayer and you realize you're glad God didn't answer that prayer. How many of you can say amen to that? Let me see your hands. That's right. So God is faithful even to say no sometimes. But sometimes the no is really just not yet. Because when we get around to that, it's going to be even more and more amazing than you're asking for. You know the the name Hannah in the Old Testament. You might read 1 Samuel chapter 1, those first couple of chapters in your devotions this week. There's a woman named Hannah in the Old Testament who was also without, without any children, the shame that goes with it. She prayed and prayed and prayed. What's interesting is at that time in the history of Israel, it was one of those dark periods, which is really most of the Old Testament. But especially there, was, there were no right to speak for God to the people at that time. And you see, God wanted to have a man who would speak for him, but there wasn't any. And here was this woman who was praying and praying and praying for a son. And in the delay, she finally comes to that place where she says, God, if you will give me a son, I promise I will raise him to serve you all the days of his life. Well, she wasn't praying that before, but she finally got to that place and something happens when your heart gets in line with God's heart is then he can give you the thing that you're asking for. And when Hannah said, God, if you give me a son, I will commit him, I will dedicate him to you, then God said, okay, now we can get busy. She does give him a son. That little boy's name was what? Say it out loud Samuel. Samuel was an important man, a prophet in the Old Testament. And before God could have a Man who would serve him and speak for him, God needed a woman who would raise a little boy to be that man. And what just pops into my mind is my mother. It was my mother who took me to church. I've shared before, it was my father who was an alcoholic and drank every day that I knew in my growing up. And if it wasn't for my mother who faithfully took me to the Lord, I mean, took me to church week after week, I know I would not be standing here. There I was, standing between two choices a godly mother and an alcoholic father. Which one do I choose? And of course, people were worried that I would grow up and, and drink like my father. Now it backfired. I could see exactly the effects of alcohol and my father. And it, it was a no brainer decision to say, I don't want to be like that. I can see what alcohol does day in and day out in a life. And I could say, I don't want that. So I chose to follow my mother's influence. And when I finally became a pastor, my mother was shocked. It was like she was surprised that, uh, you know, because I just wanted to follow another course, play music. And finally, we were in in Portland, Oregon. Finally, she comes up to visit us at church. My mother had to remember this moment that I was the youngest of five, that I was actually a pastor. She was sitting right there in about the third row in the middle of church. She stood up and took my picture in the middle of church. She didn't care what else was going on. She was as shocked as anybody. We saw last week in Ephesians, Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able. Don't ever think that God is not able because some person or circumstances around you are preventing God from working. How crazy is that? that some person around you is keeping God from blessing you. That is a life Bible lesson that you have to learn. Gabriel announces that they will have a son. They will call his name. Now they are to call his name, John or Yohanan, which means graced by God. And, and they, Zechariah objects first because they don't have a John in the family, and it was their custom to, to pass along a family name. Gabriel says he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He is not to drink wine or strong drink because that's after the Nazarite vow. You can look that up in your Bible dictionaries. The Nazarite vow, which means even from conception. He is to be set apart for the Lord and to serve the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, and his role will be to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Christ. What's amazing it as is that it's been 400 years since God has spoken to Israel in the Old Testament. 400 years, when you look back in the Old Testament and the hundreds of promises and expectations that are yet unfulfilled, how's that for waiting? Here is a nation waiting, 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 as if nothing is going to happen. Where is the promise? of the coming messiah If you know your history world history you know that in those 400 years of silence God was working Even in the silence God is always working Greece Rome to po- rose to power then Rome rose to power even as it was predicted in the book of Daniel and In those nations that have no interest in helping the spread of the gospel, God used them. Did you know that? Greece, the language of Greek became the common language of the world. And the Old Testament scriptures were translated into Greek. We call it the Septuagint. And then that written word and the news of the birth of the Son of God would have to then be taken by messengers around the world. And that's what Rome was known for, the roads that Rome built. So now we have a common language and an easy way to travel around the world. And when Jesus said to the the apostles, they are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the Lord made that possible by a common language and and roads that would be traveled. Amazing. Amazing to look back and see how God works when it can look like he's not doing anything. And I promise you, he's working in your life in ways you don't even know but you'll look back and you realize, wow, look at that 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 just happened that way and how that worked out that way. I'm still looking back on my life and realizing how God was taking care of me and directing me and preparing me for something way more than I had ever planned. The Old Testament closes with the promise in Malachi Malachi 4, 5 and 6, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So John the Baptist is seen as fulfilling that role of Elijah that Malachi spoke of before the first coming of the Lord. And we believe that before the second coming of the Lord, Elijah will come and be one of those witnesses, likely in the book of Revelation. Now, Zacharias has a lapse of faith. Have you ever had a lapse of faith? Where God told you he was going to do something and you said, I don't think so. I don't see how that could ever happen. You're in good company. Verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Sometimes our routine of service, even though we are doing it faithfully, can become a little bit of a rut. And let me tell you, it's not an indictment against you. It happens to all of us. Week after week, year after year, Our life goes on, and sometimes we're continuing to serve the Lord, but in that routine of service, we forget. We forget how to expect the Lord to do anything miraculous. We forget, like Zacharias, how to believe in miracles. Gabriel says that because you doubted, The sign of what I said is going to happen will be your inability to speak. Your inability to speak. What I love about this is that God is going to work in spite of Zacharias' lack of faith. Have you ever heard that questionable Bible principle that God can't work without your faith? that your faith is enabling God to work or some version of that God God can't bless you unless you believe him for the miracle. Now, of course, we need faith. Of course, we are increasing in faith by hearing the word. And of course, God wants us to trust him. But many times God will work in spite of your lack of faith. God will bless you just despite you. And in fact, that is how grace works. Grace is unmerited favor. So if God only can bless you because you had enough faith, because you deserved it, because you worked it up, and people say, well, I trusted the Lord. Well, let me tell you, my testimony is the number of years where I was so discouraged I didn't trust the Lord and the Lord took care of me anyway. That is also a lesson of God's faithfulness. And I say that a lot in my preaching and teaching because I know I'm talking to people who think that God is not thinking of you because you are not thinking of him very much. Because you've lost hope. And many people have stopped trusting the Lord, so they think God is off doing other things. No, he isn't off doing other things. He's still watching out for you. And he knows that you. there will be a time in which, hopefully, you'll come back around And that hope and faith will be renewed. And you'll wake up. And begin to trust the Lord again. God is faithful even in our lack of faith. And God is gracious even when we don't deserve it. Those are not the popular Bible lessons I'm supposed to tell you. Because preachers are constantly trying to try and tell you how you need to try harder. You need to work harder. You need to give more. You, while you're having, you're struggling, you're probably not praying enough. And it starts to become a a condemnation. Rather than something that is renewing your hope in the Lord. There's no excuse for our lack of faith. And I'm not telling you that it's okay to just just go mess off with your life and God will just, uh, you know, pour out blessings on your life. But in your many years of your life of trusting the Lord, you'll go through seasons where you don't trust the Lord, where you become discouraged. And I want you to know when you get there or if you're there now, the Lord loves you the same. He is faithful toward you the same. He is still working out things for your life, maybe and not in ways that he would if you were cooperating, just like a parent with a child. But he is still present and working in your life. Verse 21, and the people waited for Zacharias and Mar- and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Verse 23, And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among his people. I love how Elizabeth says that. The Lord has dealt with me to take away my reproach. And I, frankly, can think of uh, the things that, I have been through, or things that you have been through. It's interesting how things that can stay with us throughout our life, things that can become a reproach or a shame, they, they happened years ago. We had no control over them, like Elizabeth had no control of, over whether she would have a child or not. And yes, it, yet it was a shame to her personally. and how she just saw how the Lord was taking away that shame. So many people don't come to church or don't participate very much in fellowship in church because they're ashamed of their past. Do you know that one of the great signs of God working in somebody's life is that that shame is no longer hidden, but it now becomes part of their testimony. It's, some, it's not something they're hiding, but now it's something they're telling people about. Man, when I was younger, this happened to be. But when the Lord worked in my life, he delivered me from, it's not, I'm, it's, it doesn't identify you anymore. It doesn't characterize who you are. It really is your testimony of something that the Lord delivered you from. Kind of like that man who had said, I once was blind, but now I see. I want to tell you about my past, but I want to tell you that is not who I am anymore. So whatever this looks like in your life, you could say the same thing in however God is working in your life. And I want to encourage you to let the Lord work in your life, but let him just completely remove the shame of old things. You don't need to hide out in obscurity in the fellowship anymore. You don't have to pretend you had a different life. It's just your testimony of the greatness of the grace of God. Amen? His name shall be John, Johannin graced by God and that's our testimony if it wasn't for the Lord I would not be standing here if it wasn't for the Lord I would have been wiped out a long time a long time ago this week as you guys get together in small groups you're going to talk about this passage talk about this passage and you might share what you've learned from this passage How is it that God has worked in your life? Have you ever had an experience of God delaying an answer to prayer? And what did that look like? Or maybe you're still waiting for an answer to prayer. What have you learned either from here or in your life about the faithfulness of God? Because you see, I have an alternative agenda. It's not only to strengthen you, but through you, to speak to the people of this city. And what is our message to the people of Albany and the surrounding communities? Again, it's not, hey, try our church. We're better than other churches. It's join us. The Lord is working in our church. I'd love for you to hear about how the Lord is working and how the Lord wants to work in your life. I know you've had disappointments, but we're a place where we are growing in the love of God. That's your invitation. That every seat here is filled for one service and two services and more of people who have been renewed in the hope and the love of God. There aren't any cool, perfect people out there, except for me. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So that takes the pressure off of us to perform. It takes the pressure off of you to be amazing, because you're not. It takes the pressure off of you to do a miracle. And we just get to trust the Lord for the work that he wants to do. And hear me, God wants to work. We don't have to beg God to work. He wants to work. Worship team, you can come up, please before I forget about you all together. Hi there, Matt. A scripture out of our study in Philippians, Philippians 419, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Take a minute and respond to the Lord. Could you do that with me? Not out loud, not publicly, but between you and the Lord, quietly. You don't need to put on or perform, but just respond back to the Lord that you heard him. I know that some scripture or something I shared this morning spoke directly into your heart. Amen? Something was for you this morning. And I want you to acknowledge that to the Lord, that you heard it. And just ask the Lord to renew your faith, to renew your hope, and just say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm open. Can you do that this morning? Would you just close your eyes and have a a word of prayer before the Lord? Lord, I'm done telling you what to do. Lord, I'm sorry for telling you how it has to go. Lord, take all of those unanswered prayers And Lord, I trust you to answer them the way that you want to answer them. Because Lord, I believe you are good and you love me.